Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am just back from the land down under where I was doing a five-day tour throughout Australia, particularly in the Sydney area, and it was such a blessing meeting so many faithful there, faithful Catholic school teachers and laity, clergy, married couples, young adults, university students, and I just want to give a big shout out to the many new Australian listeners and the many people who've been listening faithfully over the last couple of years. I have met so many people everywhere I went. I kept meeting people who are listening to the podcast. It's so exciting to have uh, you listeners down there from Australia. And I want to ask all of my listeners if they could pray for the church in Australia. They're fighting a big cultural battle down there, very secular, and they need our prayers as they're trying to bring about renewal and trying to raise good families in a secular culture. So you got our prayers, Australia. Uh, I also want to ask your prayers for Focus, the new Focus missionaries. Over the last month, I've been traveling a lot uh, to Ave Maria, Florida, as well as Bismarck, you marry, University of Mary there, where those are the two sites where we've been doing our summer training. June is the month of summer training for Focus, and that's where we're launching hundreds of new missionaries to begin their work of evangelization in the fall, and I know they need your prayers as well. So if you could pray for the church in Australia, if you could pray for the Focus missionaries, I would greatly appreciate it. And I'm so excited in this episode now because I've been gone a lot over the last several weeks. I'm, we're going to do a Q&A episode to get caught up on a lot of listeners' questions. Uh, I love hearing from our listeners. I love hearing what's touching them ab- about the podcast, something that's inspiring them, encouraging them. So please feel free to let me know if there's anything that you get you take away from this week's podcast or recent episodes. I'd love to hear from you. If you also have any questions about the Catholic faith, you can send those to me as well. So you can reach me on my website, Edward. You can also reach me directly at info.edwardsree at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsree at gmail.com. And of course, you can message me on Facebook or Instagram and find me on Twitter as well. So let's go to some of the listeners' questions. And I want to start with Lene. Lene had some questions about Mary, uh, about the saints, and about purgatory. She's looking for some good resources. She's wanting to be able to explain this to others. Uh, and I want to walk through a couple of these. So first of all, uh, her, one of her main questions is this. For what reason do we hold Mary so high? Why is Mary so important to us as Catholics? Uh, a great question. You know, I love to talk about Mary. And we often talk about individual questions about Mary, particular doctrines and devotions. But I love this question, Lene, because it's the, more, it's the big picture. Well, well, okay, why is she so important to us as Catholics? And I think those of us that have been Catholic, maybe we've grown up with Mary and devotion and the rosary. It's just a it's second nature to us, but I love this question because it invites us to step out of our of our, our upbringing and just ask the question that many other people would ask is, why do Catholics give so much attention to Mary? Uh, why is she so important? And, and I, I, I want to talk about this. First of all, I would want to say at a basic level, Mary in the Bible, she is the first and model disciple of Jesus. And that's one reason we really honor her. She's the first, but she's also the model disciple uh, why do I say that? This is something 
that even non-Catholics have recognized that Mary is the first person in the New Covenant era to say yes to God's Word. She's the first person to hear God's Word in the by the angel Gabriel, and she says yes in her fiat. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she responds totally open to God's will and wanting to do the Lord's will in her life. She says, Behold, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. That she wants to be the, the servant of God's word. She wants God's word to be a in her life. That's the first person in the New Testament era to say yes to God's word like this. But it's not just her yes, her fiat at the Annunciation. She continues to renew that fiat throughout her life. It wasn't just a one-time yes. It was a continual yes. And again, there's no one in the New Testament that continually says yes quite like Mary. She right away goes and, and visits her kinswoman Elizabeth, trusting the angel's message. The angel Gabriel told Mary that her kinswoman Elizabeth, even in her old age, is pregnant with a child, John the Baptist. And Mary believes this. This seems impossible. How could this old elderly woman give birth to a child? This is amazing. Yet Mary believes in God's word. She trusts it and goes quickly with, with earnest to Elizabeth. When she gets to Elizabeth, she's there to serve, of course, but she's also there uh, to support Elizabeth in, in in this last trimester of Elizabeth's difficult pregnancy, I'm sure. But but more than that, I think what's interesting is that Luke's gospel tells us in the visitation scene how much Elizabeth praises Mary and recognizes Mary is blessed because she believed. I think that's a beautiful title for Mary. Mary's blessed because she believed, Elizabeth says. And once again, we're seeing Mary's great faith affirmed not just in Mary's own words, but now by her kinswoman, Elizabeth. Mary is blessed because she's uh, the the fruit of her womb, uh, Elizabeth says, that she, Mary has this child, the Messiah, the Holy Son of God in her. Mary's faithfulness is seen at the end of the visitation where she gives her great magnificat. She praises God. She thanks God for all that God is accomplishing in her life. Mary recognizes that this is done not by her own power, but through, but through the miraculous work God is doing. And that's another sign of a disciple, giving thanks, giving praise, humbly recognizing what God is doing in all of our lives. Mary models that for us in the Magnificat. So we're still in just the first chapter of Luke's gospel, and we've seen so much about her modeling for us what faithful discipleship is all about, saying yes, being blessed because you believe, giving thanks and praise to God for all that God does in her life. Then we see in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, Mary's faithfulness at the at the nativity. She keeps and ponders all the mysterious events of a surrounding Christ's birth in her heart. So when she hears about the angels singing the praises of God over the fields to the shepherds, and the shepherds tell her this, when she watches the mystery unfolding before her of her holy son being born in conditions of great poverty, and she has to put this baby in a manger. This is another great sign of Mary's faithfulness. Mary keeps and ponders all these things in her heart, like a faithful disciple. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. When Mary hears the word from Simeon 40 days later in the temple at the presentation scene in Luke chapter 2, Simeon foretells how this child is going to be a sign of contradiction. He's going to be hated. He's going to be opposed. He's going to be killed. And Mary still continues to say yes 
yes in faithfulness. All throughout her life, Mary saying yes. At Cana, she encourages Jesus to begin his public ministry, setting him off to perform the first miracle. She's there at the cross. She's one of the few people faithful to Jesus on Good Friday when most of the apostles ran away. One of them denied Jesus three times. One of them even betrayed Jesus. And yet, who's there faithful with Jesus at Calvary? The Blessed Virgin Mary. And then the last time we read about her on earth in the New Testament period is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, where she's there with the apostles at Pentecost, right before Pentecost, praying with the apostles there in the upper room. So from beginning to end, from the Annunciation to Pentecost, Mary is shown to be a model, faithful disciple. And that's one of the big reasons we hold her up in our Catholic faith. She's also someone that's given to us as our spiritual mother. I've talked about this on other podcasts. In John chapter 19, there at the cross, Mary, uh, uh, Jesus says to Mary and to St. John the Apostle, there at the cross, behold your mother, behold your son. And in that beautiful scene, the beloved disciple, St. John, is told that Mary is going to be his mother. And, and St. John represents all of us He's the faithful disciple in John's gospel, the beloved disciple representing those who are close to Jesus. And this disciple who's close to Jesus is told, behold your mother. Uh, I've said in other podcasts, it's as if we could put ourselves right there in St. John's shoes and imagine St. John uh, being St. John, being that beloved disciple there at Calvary and having Jesus look at us and saying, behold your mother. Mary's our spiritual mother. So, uh, I won't linger more on this, Lene, but I just want to show you those are two ways we can go about seeing Mary's great importance in our Catholic faith. First, she's the model disciple from beginning to end, from the Annunciation to Pentecost. And so, so all of us faithful Christians should should honor her, should recognize her as a great model, an example for us to follow. That's one of the reasons we hold her up. Secondly, in John 19 at the cross, she is given to us as our spiritual mother. If you want to read more about this, check out my book, Walking with Mary, Lene. Walking with Mary would be a great book, especially for your Protestant friends. I've had many, many Protestant ministers contact me over the years telling me they've been using that book as Bible study in their Protestant congregations. And they've thanked me. They've said, you know, I, I, we love this book. It doesn't get into all the Marian doctrines. But what we love about it is that it's helped us recognize that Mary is a great disciple and we can learn from her. Uh, and and I love this because they, they, they've told me, they've said, you know, we as Protestants sometimes have pushed Mary too far away. You've helped us to see she's a great biblical hero and someone we should imitate, someone we should hold up. So check out my book, Walking with Mary. Uh, you can find it on my website. That one could be helpful. If you want a deeper dive into all the New Testament references to Mary, this would just really unpack every biblical data point related to Mary. Check out another book I wrote. It's called uh, Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Again, Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. So now, Lene, you, you have a couple other questions here that I think all of our listeners would be interested in. One of them is this. If Mary was sinless, why wasn't she the Messiah? That's a great question. Many people wonder about this. If Mary was sinless, why wasn't she the Messiah? Well, first of all, the Messiah 
is the the son of David. He's the royal king, the one who is going to liberate the people uh, and reestablish the kingdom. The Messiah had to be a son of David. Uh, it's the king. So it wouldn't make sense for Mary to be that. I think maybe your question is is more about if Mary was sinless, why wasn't she the savior? Why wasn't she the one that saved the human family? I think that's a great question. Uh, the idea of being the savior of the world is not simply about being sinless. Yes, Mary and Jesus have that in common. They were both sinless. But just being sinless wouldn't make one able to save the world. Uh, the, the reason Jesus was able to save the world is because he's divine. That's the key here. He's fully human and he's fully divine. Being fully human, Jesus can represent us. He can perform an act of love that reconciles us to the Father. And inf- but, but because he's infinite, his, his act of love is, is an infinite act of love. And that can restore the gap that, that divides the human family and keeps us from union with God. So Jesus being fully human can represent the human family and perform an act of love. But because he's also fully divine, his act of love is an infinite act of love. It restores us in unity with God. So it's Jesus being the God-man, fully human and fully divine, that makes him the Savior. Mary is truly fully human, and she is without sin, but she's not divine. So no matter what act of love she can perform, as beautiful as those acts of love might be, they're not of infinite value. They can't bridge the infinite gap that has been established because of human sinfulness. Only a divine act of love could bridge that infinite gap. That's why Jesus, the divine Son of God, is able to perform that act of love for us, representing us as part of the human family, but his act of love is infinite. So that would explain that. Um, Maybe another question I'll take here uh, is, why do we pray to the saints. So Leone wants to know, why do we pray to the saints? Uh, another great question here. We are asking, Leone, we are asking the saints to intercede for us, just like I might ask you all to intercede. I just I just asked you all to intercede for Focus and the Focus missionaries at the beginning of the show. I asked you to intercede for the church in Australia. So I'm asking you to pray for other people. And that's just something that, that the body of Christ does. St. Paul not only says it's an okay thing to do, he commands us to. We must intercede for one another. And as the Catechism brings out, intercession builds up the unity within the family. We show our love for one another by serving each other. And one of the best ways we serve each other is through praying for each other. Now, the saints in heaven, they continue to intercede for us. They continue to pray for us because they're still a part of the mystical body of Christ. It's not as if uh, St. Peter and St. Paul get cut off from the body of Christ when they die. It's not as if St. Francis of Assisi or or St. Anthony of Padua or St. Therese of Lisieux are cut off from the body of Christ, then they become an amputated toe or something. No, no, they are actually even more profoundly united with us in the body of Christ when they're fully united with Jesus in heaven. That's why they can intercede for us. That's why they can hear our prayers because they're fully united with Jesus. Last question from Lene here. And again, I love these questions, Lene. I think these are questions many people would have. Why do we need purgatory if Christ died on the cross? It's as simple as this. Many people wonder this. If Jesus died on the cross, he saved us, then why do we why do we still need purgatory? You know, aren't we just saved? Well, 
Jesus did die for us, and he won all the treasures of salvation, but those treasures have to be applied to our lives. And when we say yes to Jesus in friendship with him, and we're baptized and we enter the church, it's the beginning of that life of salvation. But that life of salvation has to continue to grow in us. It has to continue, continue to transform us. And if we die in friendship with Jesus, with his life in us, but we don't love him completely, we don't love him with all our hearts, then we need purgatory. This is very clear from, from the New Testament. For uh, St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about how there are some who are going to be saved, but only through fire. So they die, they're in friendship with Christ, but they need the fire of God's love to continue to, to purge them of any sins, any selfishness. In other words, God, there's no one in heaven that loves God with only half their heart. There's no one in heaven that only loves God with 99% of their heart because heaven is total union with God. The God who is infinite love, we're going to be totally united with him, but I won't be ready for that perfect total union if I still have a little vestige of, of selfishness, of pride, of, of self-will within me. That has to be transformed. And God wants to do that in my life here on earth, but if I die in friendship with him, I'm not worthy of hell, but I'm not ready for heaven. That's why St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there are some who die, they will be saved through fire. That's the fire of God's love, the fire of his love burning off our selfishness in purgatory. Uh, so much more you can read about this. And, and Lene, I may just recommend a book I wrote that deals with all these common questions about the Bible and the Catholic faith. That book is called Love Unveiled, The Catholic Faith Explained. And again, you can find that on my website. The, it's called Love Unveiled, The Catholic Faith Explained. I really wrote that with many of my Protestant friends in mind wanting to explain the Catholic faith biblically. So it'll have all these questions about Mary, about purgatory, about the saints. You can check that one out. I'm going to go to a question from uh, Nisha Maria. Nisha has a question about baptism, uh, baptism in the Bible. As far as we can tell, Jesus doesn't perform baptisms in his ministry. Is there any reason for this? Would he have baptized the apostles? This is a great question, Nisha. And we don't have any biblical record of Jesus uh, baptizing. There's an, uh, kind of an allusion to it. It says in John chapter 4, verse 1, that it, it mentions that Jesus baptized, but then it goes on to say, but Jesus himself didn't baptize. It was his disciples baptizing. So we know that the disciples did the work of baptism. That was like an extension coming from Christ. I think what the Catechism of the Catholic Church brings out in Article 1225 is that the real, if we want to see baptism in Jesus's life, you turn to the cross. Like all the sacraments are ultimately rooted in the paschal mystery of Jesus's death and resurrection. But there's a beautiful visual uh, kind of uh, symbolism of, of baptism at Calvary. After Jesus dies, uh, it tells us about how the Roman soldier pierces Christ's side and blood and water flow from Christ's side. So that an image of blood and water is a symbol of the two sacraments, the Eucharist and baptism. Blood symbolizing the Eucharist, but the water coming forth from Christ's side is symbolizing baptism, the gift of baptism for the church. Uh, so all sacraments rooted ultimately in the cross, and that's where we would see uh, baptism maybe visually expressed. Um, there's a question here from somebody named Greeley. Greeley asks, he talks about, uh, I'll just sum summarize this, he was studying to become a, method, a Methodist minister in 1996, but became a Catholic and ended up 
raising his children Catholic, but now he has some some children that are that are asking questions uh, about the Catholic faith, questions about purgatory and the Marian teachings. Uh, are there any basic books that that would help address this? Are there any podcasts that would that would address this that I've done? So, uh, really, I've already. It's interesting. Uh, I already addressed a number of these questions from that uh, from from a, a previous listener. But I will mention to you a couple of books I'd recommend about the Catholic faith that could that could help answer this. One is the famous book by Scott Hahn called Rome Sweet Home. Scott and Kimberly Hahn wrote this book. The reason I like that book, there are, are other books that might go more in depth into the all the apologetics on individual issues. This book covers all of them, but it does it in the narrative of a story, the story of a famous Protestant couple Protestant pastor who finds his way into the Catholic Church through reading the Bible, through reading the Church Fathers, uh, and and I love it because it's in the context of a story that might be really fascinating for your your children to learn about that in in the context of their conversion story. So check out Scott Hahn, Rome Sweet Rome Sweet Home with Ignatius Press. I've already mentioned the one book that I wrote that goes through each of the individual topics about sola scriptura, about purgatory, about Mary and the saints, about the sacraments, about why we need a church. Uh, a lot of these common questions that our Protestant brothers have. I wrote this book thinking about them, wanting to write it in a way that would be very appealing to my Protestant brothers and sisters who love the Bible so much. And that book, again, is called Love Unveiled. Love Unveiled, The Catholic Faith Explained. As far as uh, podcasts I've done on this to- on these topics, check out my podcast on purgatory. I did this in November 2018. So in 2018 of November, I did a podcast all on the topic of purgatory. I've done many podcasts on the Blessed Virgin Mary, including a few just this last May. So you can check those out. Uh, so thank you, Greeley, for those questions. Uh, finally, one last question here. This one comes from Patty. Patty asked, she said, I just purchased your book, Rethinking Mary, and I was wondering if there's any study guide or discussion questions you might recommend. Uh, so this is my book, Rethinking Mary, that goes through all the in-depth, every individual reference to Mary in the New Testament. Uh, I mentioned this book a little bit earlier in the show. I don't have any uh, study guide for that particular book, Esther, uh, or Patty, sorry. But but I would recommend what you could do is I think after every chapter, I would want to go back and unpack what's the main point of every chapter? What's the main takeaway? In each of those chapters, I'm trying to highlight like the rich biblical nuggets that you can take away about Mary. So even if it's just the word, like there's the opening chapter on just the word hail, and then there's the next chapter just on full of grace. Uh, I think if if I was leading a group discussion, I would want to make sure we all come away, okay, what's the main point of the angel's word hail? And I would want everyone to be able to take away that that's fulfilling the prophecies about daughter Zion. Mary is being associated with daughter Zion. Uh, full of grace. What, what's the main takeaway there? I want everyone to know that this isn't just uh, a title of favor, that Mary's externally favored by God. God looks upon Mary with kindness, with favor. No, that this implies an actual interior change. So I think if you did that, like if you had the group, if you're using it for small group, just simply summarize what are the main takeaways? What's the main point of this key word or this key verse or this key passage that we're unpacking chapter by chapter in that book? 
All right, my friends, thank you so much for all your questions. I love hearing from our listeners. If there's something here in this week's podcast that touched you, encouraged you, uh, maybe challenged you or helped you understand something, I want to hear it from you. Uh, please let me know. You can reach me at info.edwardsree.com or on my website. Um, if you have any questions about the Catholic faith, uh, any further questions on these topics or anything else, you can always reach me again, info.edwardsree at gmail.com or on my website. And you can always contact me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My prayers are with you, my friends. Please pray for me. Please pray for my family. And Beth and I are getting ready to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary coming up here this month. So if you could pray for us and our marriage, I'd appreciate that as well. Thanks so much and God bless.